There's not much worse than getting to the end of your life only to find out that you've missed the very point for which you were created. Sadly, this isn't only a reality for unbelievers. Christians can also spend their lives on things that miss God's ultimate purposes in the world. In this message from Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 17, David Platt urges us to consider our ultimate purpose in life from the perspective of Scripture and God's redemptive plan for all nations. The question is, how will you pray, give, and go in light of Christ's commands to make disciples of all nations? This is the Radical with David Platt podcast. Here is David with a message titled, Don't Miss the Point, from Ignite Auburn. It's good to be in Auburn. Thank you guys for letting me in as a graduate of the University of Georgia. So I really appreciate your hospitality and welcoming a foreigner into your midst. You know, listening to these, these guys uh, in their athletic career makes me think about how lame my athletic career has been. I, I remember, so in high school, I was on the, the high school baseball team, which might make you think, well, I mean, you were good enough to be on the high school baseball team. You had to be some kind of athlete. The only reason I was on the team is because our team was really, really bad, like very bad at baseball. We, we couldn't, like my whole senior year, we, the, throughout most of the season, had not won a game. And it got down to the end of the season, and we were playing another team that was also really, really, really bad. And so it was a close game between two really bad baseball teams. And remember, we got down to the last inning, and we were out in the field, and we kept them from scoring. It was all tied up. We kept them from scoring. So we came running off the field, and we had a chance like going into the bottom of the last inning to score and potentially win a game. So the coach met us out in front of the dugout. He would do this periodically. We wanted to give us a pep talk to try to get us going. It never worked. But he met us out in front of the dugout. He's like, guys, we actually have a chance to win a game. And he said, if, if we don't do it right here, we're going to go into extra innings. And what's going to happen? We're like, we'll lose. He's like, that's right, guys, we'll lose. <laughs> So he said, he said, so it's going to happen. It needs to happen right here. So he said, he pointed his finger in my face. He said, David, you're up first. He said, we need you to get to first base. Once you get to first, we're going to steal you over to second. Once you get to second, all we need is one hit. You round third, come home, we win the game. I'm thinking, yeah, right. Uh, we win the game, coach. That never happens. And it's dependent on me getting to first base. Also does not happen. So... All the guys that were bought in, they were like, come on, Dave, just get to first base. Like, it's all you have to do. So, so I go in the dugout, I grab my helmet, grab a bat, I walk out there, and I'm just, like, praying. Like, God, I know you love everybody on this field, and you desire all of our good, but would you just use this for their sanctification? Like, would you just, just help me to get to first base? Just help me to get to first base. So... I step into the batter's box, and by the grace of Almighty God, I draw a walk. So apparently it was too much for me to get a hit, uh, so God just made sure the dude didn't throw me any strikes. So draw a walk, I, uh, I get, and if it's not working, don't worry about it, like it's really not that big a deal. Um, so uh, I draw a walk, get down to first base. When I get to first base, I look over the third base coach, and you'll never guess what he's doing. Like he's giving me the steal sign. So I'm like, oh man, I like the walking thing better. Now I got to run. And so I take my lead off first base 
And the pitcher winds and he throws, and I turn and I start running as hard as I can towards second base. And I get a few feet away and I start this head first slide. Guy catches the ball, puts the tag down. What do you think? Safe or out? Oh, it's safe. Like, who said out over here? Like, <laughs> like a loud out, like, no doubt, loser. <laughs> out. The, this story would be no good if it ended at this point. So anyway, so I was safe. I got wheels, man. Okay, so can't hit the ball, but I can run. So, uh, so anyway, I get to second base. Um, next guy up to bat strikes out. Big loser, didn't walk like I did. So what that means is now we got, we got one out. If you know much about baseball, you know, like if it's going to happen, it really needs to happen right here. Because if they get a second out, they don't have to worry about me as a runner. They can kind of relax. So, so this is when it needs to happen. So the pitcher winds, throws, the guy up to bat hits the ball in between the third baseman and the shortstop. And I turn and I watch the ball go in front of me into left field. And I start running as hard as I can toward third base. And I look up and I, I see the third base coach. Anybody know what he's doing? He's doing this like all the way down the line, like faster than I ever could. I'm like, why don't you do this, coach? So he's going down the line, giving me the go sign. So, so I, I step on third base and I look up and there... 90 feet in front of me is a dude who's much bigger than I am, and he's got his mask off and his equipment on, and he is standing over the plate, just waiting for me. And I decided, this is my moment. So I just start running as hard as I can, just movie-like, the guys are out of the dugout, jumping up and down, screaming, all the fans are going nuts, there's only like three people there, but they're going nuts. I'm telling you, we were bad. Not even our parents would come to watch us play. We were so bad. So anyway, but those couple of people in the stands were cheering. I run and I get again like five feet away and I start this head first slide. And it was, it was like a movie. Like my hand brushes past the plate as this guy catches it, puts the tag down on my shoulder. We look up in the dust. The umpire, I'm not going to ask you over here what you think he said. Umpire yells, safe safe. All the guys come running out of the dugout. They jump on top of me like we'd won the World Series. We had won a game. <laughs> it was one of the most, actually, it was the only glorious moment of my entire sports career. And it was like pure joy reliving that with you. Um, but let me ask you a question. What would you think of me as a baseball player if when I was rounding third base, I thought, you know, I'm kind of hungry right now. And I were just to run over to the concession stand to get a hot dog instead of down to home plate. Or what would you think of me as a baseball player if when I was rounding third base, I were to look up and see that for some unknown surprising reason, uh, a high school senior girl has come to watch us play. And I think she looks better than he does. And I just go running over there to strike up a conversation about my amazing walk or whatever. <laughs> or what would you think of me as a baseball player? If I'm rounding third base, I would look up and I see the coach just passionately going down the line. And I were to think, you know, I've not really spent a lot of time with coach recently. And so I just sort of go over to him, just like put my arm around him like, coach, calm down, bro. Like, how are you? How's your wife and your kids? And your soul. Like, you'd say, well, of course you can't win a game. Because when it comes down to the one thing that matters most, you miss the point. 
you totally missed the point. Like, it wasn't about walking to first base or just running to different bases. Like, it's about getting to a goal, winning a game, and you missed the point. So let me ask you a question tonight. That's just a game. It really doesn't matter. Is, is this possible in your life? To do all kinds of things. Maybe even good things. But get to the end and realize you actually missed the whole point. Is that possible? I think it's, it's not just possible. It happens all the time. In this world, I would say it's not just possible. It's probable. Which is why Jesus says these words. They might be up on the screen if we've got that working. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? This is straight from his mouth in Mark chapter 8. Like it's, it's possible to gain the whole world. To have it all, like everything. Like think everything that Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos own. You're just getting started. You could have it all. Like all the success, all the money, all the fame, all the glamour, all the everything. This, the whole world. Jesus says, you could have it all and in the end miss the whole point. I, I, I got a picture in my mind and a friend of mine used this illustration and I just can't think of a better picture. I want you to, I want you to picture this rope that goes all the way off this stage. I want you to picture it like it goes off that stage and it keeps going forever. Like, doesn't ever end. Like, goes out of the arena and across campus and across the state and across the country and around the world, and it keeps going over and over and again, forever, with no end. Now picture this part of the rope, just this red part right here, as your life in this world. The little bit of time we spend here and then picture the rest of this rope as your life beyond this world that goes on forever and ever with no end. Isn't it baffling how much time and energy and emotion we pour into this little part right here? Like, Live it up right here. Like we live in a country like where the dream is, actually, I go to school, get a good degree so you can get a good job, and you can work, 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 and save, 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 and then you can like really live it up like right here. <laughs> and that's the dream when you're old and tired and hurting. Live it up right there. It's utter foolishness, isn't it? 
Like, why are we not focused on here? Why are we not spending our time and our energy and our affections and our emotions focused on here and here and here? What's going to last forever? Like we live in a world that blinds us with a focus on what's right here. And Jesus says to every one of us, don't miss the point. The point is not just here. The point is all of this to come and how this right here affects all of this to come because you can have it all. You can have the whole world right here. You can have everything this world offers and at this moment, it'll totally be gone and you'll have lost everything forever. So how do you make sure you don't get to this point? And if I could just remind us, like this point, the end of our lives could be tomorrow for any one of us. I trust we, we all realize we're not guaranteed to make it to 70, 80, 90. And we're not, we're not guaranteed to make it to the end of this gathering tonight. Like, our lives are a myth. They're here for a second, gone the next. So, but at some point, at any point, it's going to come to an end. How do we make sure when we get to that point we've not missed the whole point. And I just want to show you three truths in what Jesus said right before he used these words in Mark 8. Three truths, and, and, and I, my hope is these truths will just lead us before Jesus. So the, the main event, just to be really clear, the main event tonight is not any of the talks that have happened. This talk, the main event is I want to lead you just a couple minutes from now to be at the feet of Jesus saying, maybe for some of you, in a defining moment in your life, I, I want my life to count for what matters most forever. And maybe for some others, uh, a refining moment in your life where you say in, in this arena tonight, I'm refocusing on what matters forever based on these three truths that come straight from Jesus' mouth. So, if you're taking notes, here's number one. First truth, Jesus, and this is super simple and extremely significant. Jesus came to give us life. Actually, let me rephrase that. Jesus died to give us life. Jesus died to give us life. So Mark chapter 8, if you want to follow along, and I don't know if we got it on the screen or not. Is that a no? We're not, we don't have it on the screen? I can't see. Okay. He began to teach them. The Bible says, The Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. So let me say that one more time, because it's not on the screen. I want to make sure this, we all hear this. Jesus began to teach his disciples that he, the Son of Man, must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and the chief priests, the scribes, and be killed, and after three days, rise again. So that sentence that I just read represents the greatest news in all the world. How Jesus died to give us life. So I, I'm guessing 
Not everybody in this room has grown up in church or been in uh, Christian settings even like this. Some of you, and, and, and you've never heard this truth, others of you have grown up in church, maybe even a lot of Christian settings, settings like this, but you've, you've had a hard heart toward this truth. Or this seems like just kind of, okay, yeah, yeah, I know that, in a way that you're missing the significance of this reality. The reality that every single one of us in this arena has been created, formed, fashioned by God himself, that he has made us fearfully and wonderfully in his image for relationship with him. You and I, every single one of us in this room, created to experience life in relationship with God. We're talking about God, the creator of the universe has created you to experience life in relationship with him. The problem is every single one of us in this arena has rebelled against God in our relationship to him. It looks different in every single one of our lives, but we have all, the Bible calls this sin, sinned against God, turned aside from God and his ways to ourselves in our own ways. We know better what is best for our lives than God, so we think. And we've run into all kinds of things in this world apart from God. This is why we have evil and injustice and hurt and pain and sorrow and suffering in this world, because all of us have turned aside from God. And not just in this world. When we think about eternity, for all who die in this state of separation from God, the Bible clearly teaches that all who die in their sin before God will spend eternity experiencing God's judgment due their sin. Like forever and ever and ever. For all of eternity, without end. The Bible uses the term in Romans or Revelation chapter 14, forever and ever. Think about it, and ever adds nothing to the meaning, but it just lets it soak in. Without end, experiencing separation from God and judgment due sin. The Bible calls this an eternal hell. But the good news of the Bible is that God loves us, you, me, and he has made a way for you and me to be forgiven of our sin and reconciled to relationship with him. God has come to us in the person of Jesus to make a way for you and I to experience life. Even that reality is revolutionary. I was having a conversation in a country in Southeast Asia with a couple of guys from different religions. We were out sitting outside one of the temples uh, that they worship in, and we were having this conversation. They knew each other pretty well. I had just come into the conversation, was meeting these guys, and they were talking about our different beliefs. They knew I was a follower of Jesus, and they said, basically, they were kind of talking about how we all, um, we may use different names and say different things, but we kind of essentially believe the same thing. Like, our religions are fundamentally the same, just superficially different. I said it. I listened for a while and I said, it's almost like you guys picture God or whatever you want to call him at the top of a mountain and we're all at the bottom of a mountain and I may take this path up and you may take that path up, but in the end, we'll find ourselves in the same place. And they smiled. They said, exactly, you understand. I said, let me ask you a question. What would you think if I told you 
that the God at the top of the mountain didn't wait for you to find a way up to him or me to find a way up to him, but the God at the top of the mountain actually came down to us where we are. They said, well, that would be great. I said, that's the difference. This is the greatest news in the world. God has not left us alone in our sin, in a world of suffering and sorrow and death. God has come to us in the person of Jesus, and he has done what no one else could ever do. He's lived a life. We couldn't live a life of no sin. He's died on the cross to pay the price for sin. Even though he had no sin to die for, he chose to die on a cross to pay the price for the sins of all who would trust in him. And the good news keeps getting better because he didn't stay dead for long. Three days later, he rose from the grave. He conquered sin and death itself. Like rose from the grave. Just picture it. Like you go to somebody's funeral tomorrow. You see a body put in the ground, dirt poured over that coffin, and then you leave, and next week that guy comes up to you on campus and says, hello. That's crazy. It's crazy good. It's the greatest news in all the world. Death has been defeated, and eternal life, not death, eternal life is possible for everyone who puts their trust in Jesus. And only for those who put their trust in Jesus. There is no other way. I remember being on campus at University of Georgia, and day in and day out on that campus, like hearing all kinds of different beliefs and thoughts. And I remember I had a speech class one day, and it was it's my day to give a speech. I decided to give a speech on, on the good news of the Bible, and I shared what I just shared here. And then they got to ask questions afterwards. And I'll never forget, first person to ask questions, uh, her name was Jane, sitting in the class. She said, uh, in the speech comm class, she said, uh, I just got a question. Are you telling me that if I don't believe in the Jesus you're talking about, that when I die, I will spend eternity in hell? And I never had it put quite that way in front of quite that many people. And I began to sweat profusely. And all these eyes like trained on me and I'm looking back at Jane and I said, I said, Jane, uh, we all have sin in our lives that separates us from God. And no matter what we do, we can't get rid of that sin. And the only way that sin can be addressed in our lives is through what God has done in his grace through Jesus. So Yes, apart from trusting in him, you'll spend eternity in, in hell when you die. And immediately sighs go up across the room as the arrogant, narrow-minded Christian is standing there in front of them. And I remember Jane came up to me right after class. She said, that's the most arrogant, closed-minded thing I've ever heard anybody say before. That's so offensive. She walks off. I remember, I remember wrestling with that. I remember walk, where I was walking on campus one day where I'm just like, is this, I don't want to be closed-minded, arrogant. Is this true? I began wrestling with that. It's true. It's like Jesus is the only way to God. I wrestled through that all the end of that semester. We left for the summer. I came back at the beginning of the fall semester and I walk into class, another speech comm class. You'll never guess who's sitting in the class. Jane, she turns around, she's like, I want to talk to you afterwards. It's like, okay. <laughs> and we had had many, many conversations since class that day. But it was every conversation, it was like, you ever in conversation with somebody, it just seems like every word is just bouncing off a brick wall. It just doesn't, it's 
feel like it's going anywhere. She's like, I want to talk to you. She's like, okay. So I wait outside in the hall for an after class. She comes up to me and she's start walking. Long story short, she says to me, David, I just want you to know this summer I found out, realized Jesus is the only way to relationship with God. And I've trusted in him to save me from my sins. Now I know that when I die, I'm going to heaven. And I remember, remember hearing Jane say that. She began to describe, like I figured it out. Like it's not, it's not about all these different ways. She said, and that's what I'd say to anybody in this room tonight who's wondering, like, why are there not other ways? Like there could be a thousand ways. We would want a thousand and one. The issue is not how many ways there are. Their issue is our autonomy. We want to make our own way to God. And the good news of the Bible is that God has made his way to us. That Jesus has died. He's given his life so that you and I might have life forever. That's the first truth. Now it leads right into the second truth. So here's the second truth. If we want to live then we have to die. So Jesus died so we might have life, but if we want to live, then we have to die. So this is what Jesus says right after this. He calls the crowds to him after he's talking about how he's going to die for them. He calls the crowd to him with his disciples and he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Let him deny himself, like die to himself. Take up a cross, an instrument of death. In order to live, we have to die. Say, so what, what does that mean, to, to die, to deny ourselves, take up a cross? Well, clearly, part of this means dying to sin, dying to desires for this world and our ways over God and his word and his ways, and dying to sin and the pleasures and pursuits that are offered to us in the world through disobedience to God. If we want to live, we have to die to ourselves and our ways of doing things and our desires in this world to live for his ways according to his word and his desires. And when I was praying about this night, like Ignite Auburn, here's a, here's a picture that came to my mind. I don't know if you know much about the story of the church in South Korea, but the church grew in South Korea from less than 1% Christian in 1900 to by 2000, there were 10 million followers of Jesus in, in South Korea. Like massive, like movement. Talk about Ignite few thousand Christians, 10 million within a century. And it all started at a meeting, 1907. It's called the Pyongyang Revival. And what happened to this meeting is a small group of Christians got together and the Spirit of God visited them in a way none of them had planned. And they began spontaneously confessing sin. One on this side of the room, another on this side, another. They just started standing up and crying out in confession of sin, like audible confession of sin, and with tears in their eyes. And then more people would stand up and they'd fall on their faces and they'd just start weeping and crying out in confession of sin, confession of sin against each other, 
hidden sin that nobody else knew about. And this went on for hours into that first night and the next day, the next night, the next day, and the next night. And from that began a movement that would spread to millions of people following Jesus on the Korean Peninsula. Why? Because people began to get serious about confession of sin. And I just, I I was praying about this night. I was just thinking like how rare that is among us. Like how many times have any of us, even if you've grown up in church, and I've spent most of my life in church, how many times have we been in a setting where people are just crying out, like weeping, because we're confessing sin and we're turning from it? If we want to see, like, you want to see Auburn ignited for the glory of God, at some point what's going to lead to that is honest confession of sin. Like we miss the point if we gather together and sing songs and even lift hands and have a great night and we walk away holding on to the same sin, desires for the things of this world, hidden things in our lives, our thoughts, our desires, our actions. If we're still holding on to those things, we're missing the whole point. We're missing life. You want to live, you got to die to this the sin in this world, to the stuff of this world. Like all the things we seek after in this world more than we seek after Jesus. This is the cry of faith all throughout Scripture. Your face, O Lord, alone do I seek. I just want you. Here's another picture that came to my mind. East Asia, so another country, but this country where it's illegal to be a follower of Jesus. I started thinking about just the different times where I've spent in underground churches in this setting, talking, uh, put a jacket on with a dark jacket on with a hood over your head and dark pants and get into a car late at night, after midnight, and you drive out into this village and you get out with this hood over your head because you're going into a setting where if these people are caught for worshiping Jesus, they will immediately put, be put in jail, lose their land, and may lose their lives. And so you're going to this worship. Just imagine just following the footsteps of this believer right in front of you until you get into this little room that's nowhere near the size of this stage, like just a small portion here. And yet 60 believers just crammed in on little stools, one little light bulb hanging in the middle. And for the next three hours, you just open up the word and encourage each other with it. And they're singing and they're on their faces, weeping before God, just crying out for him, help from him and love for him. And we think like, oh, well, what can we do to, to, uh, to send resources to them, send stuff to them? Well, I'm here to tell you tonight, the Holy Spirit's doing just fine in that setting without all the stuff we surround ourselves with. Somewhere along the way, they've come to believe that Jesus and his word and his spirit are enough, and they are right. That's the question. Is it enough for us? Is it enough for us? Like we, we've bought into a, a whole gospel that says, come to Jesus and get fill in the blank. In some settings, it's come to Jesus and get health, come to Jesus and get wealth, come to Jesus and get success, come to Jesus and get prosperity, come to Jesus and get comfort, come to Jesus and get fill in the blank. No, that's not the gospel. None of that's the gospel. The gospel says, come to Jesus and get Jesus. He's the 
one we want. He's the one we need. We die to all these things. We're not after, it's not, Jesus is not a means to worldly ends. He's the end. See the end in your life. See the one thing you want. The one thing you desire. This is my one desire, the psalmist says. Just want to be in your presence. Or is it, no, I, I really want uh, success in this world plus Jesus. I really want this relationship plus Jesus. I really want, like, die to the stuff of this world. This is life. This is true life. In order to live, we have to die. And that leads to the third truth. It's what Jesus says right after this. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. So truth number one, Jesus died to give us life. Truth number two, if we want to live, we have to die. Truth number three, Jesus calls us to die so that others can live. Jesus calls us to die so that others can live. Whoever would save his life will lose it. You focus on yourself, this world, it's a recipe for losing your life. But whoever loses his life for my sake and, so follow this, and the gospel's sake, for the sake of this message. Because let's just put it out there. It's not just you and me who, whose lives are represented by this rope. It's a campus full of people right now who are also going to come to an end point and are going to go to one of two eternal destinations. So, so who is going to die to your need for a certain reputation and die to what's comfortable to you? Who's going to die to themselves so that others might hear through your life the gospel and they might have eternal life in Jesus. And you've, you're surrounded day in and day out on this campus with people who don't have life. And you know Jesus died to bring them life. So what do you need to die to in order to proclaim this message and lead others to life? And not just on this campus. Can I put this map on the screen? This map of the world that represents different countries in the world. The green areas of this map represent areas in the world where the gospel has gone. The good news of Jesus has been proclaimed. There's access to it. So if you live in those places, obviously not everybody's a Christian in those places, for sure, but but people have access to the gospel in those places. The yellow areas on this map, they have less access to the gospel, but there's still some. And then the red areas on this map represent parts of the world that are classified as unreached by the gospel. And you heard it in that video. 3.2 billion people in these red areas that right now have little to no knowledge of the name of Jesus. Nobody's ever told them. Three billion people. Nobody's ever told them. 
but the good news of God's love in Jesus. I, I don't know if that's news to you, that there's three billion people in the world like that, or if you know that reality. But I want to encourage an arena full of people tonight, when you think about the point of your life, to refuse to turn a deaf ear to those three billion. Like I, I was with a group two weeks ago of about 50 influencers, innovators, leaders. You would recognize a lot of their names. Athletes, entertainers, uh, then Fortune 500 execs and entrepreneurs and uh, tech gurus working in all kinds of places that you would also recognize. Every one of them was a follower of Jesus. And every one of them, we got them together and we just said, hey, how can you use your life and leverage the grace God has given you for the spread of the gospel in these places? And I want to say the same thing that we were talking about with this group in this room, like I, just, I look around this room and I see all the different gifts and skills and degrees and opportunities that are represented in this room to live for the spread of the gospel among all the nations of the world, to die to the pursuits of this world. More money, more success, bigger houses, more stuff, Smooth career, coast things through to retirement, go to heaven, and ignore three billion people who've never heard the gospel. I want to urge you, don't waste your life on that. You'll get to the end and you'll realize you missed the point. You've been given, we have been given the greatest news in the world. And there's people right around us in Auburn, Alabama, where I live in Washington, D.C., who need that good news. So let's live for that end today, tomorrow. And then as we look at our lives in the days to come, let's say, God, here's my life. Use me however you want to go, to give, to pray, to be a part of the spread of this gospel where it's not yet gone. Help me to die to all the stuff of this world, to sin in this world, and to live for what's going to matter for all of eternity. For three billion people, I've met them. I've seen their faces. When you walk up to someone and you say, have you ever heard about Jesus? They say, who is that? They don't know his name. And you're getting degrees that open wide doors into those places. I think about a, a girl graduated a nursing degree, and immediately started looking for a job, found one in the Middle East. There's tons of medical degrees. We'd love to help you get connected with them. Medical job openings. And she went, she got a job opening, she got a job doing nursing in this hospital in the heart of the Middle East. She has risen up in the ranks of nursing. She's now head over nursing in this significant hospital in the Middle East. She has a Bible study every single week in her office with Muslims. Nobody stops her. Do you know why? Because she's really, really good at nursing. And because she's decided to live her life so that, so that others can experience eternal life. She's decided to die to everybody else's plan in this world for her and to live for God's plan in this world for her. And that's just one person nursing degree. I just look around this room, all the unique, like some of you love math. 
No idea why, but you, God has given you a passion for math, and there's opportunities to use numbers and statistics around the world for the glory of God, engineering, agriculture. I think about a guy I met in the heart of the Himalayas who's using uh, uh, fish waste, trout poop, to help provide nutrients in unreached villages, and he's sharing the gospel. If, if God can use trout poop for the spread of the gospel among the nations. He can use whatever you got to bring to the table. Question is, will you die so that others can live? So here's what I want to do. I want to ask these, these guys to come back up and lead us now to the main event tonight. I want to lead us to come before Jesus, having heard his word, to come face-to-face with him. And I want to invite us. So we're going we're gonna to go through just some, some time before the Lord in singing and in praying and in responding. And I just want you to think about your life right here, your life, and to see it in this lens. And I want us to come before Jesus and acknowledge who he is, be honest with him, about sin in our lives and about the pleasures and pursuits of this world that we're prone to run after. And like I said earlier, that tonight might, for some in this room, be a defining moment, a Jane-like moment, where you say, I, I put my trust in Jesus. Or for, for others, maybe a refining moment in your life, where we just come before Jesus. So would you stand with me and I, I, even as I say stand with me, I invite you to do that, but I also would just, uh, I would invite you to feel free at any point in the next few minutes if it's more appropriate for you to sit or more appropriate for you to get on your knees. I just want to invite us into, this is the last thing any one of us wants tonight is just another kind of routine service to go to, like, Let's come before Jesus authentically. Let's fix our eyes and our hearts on him right now. And let's ask him, based on his word, to reformat, define, refine our lives according to his invitation to us. So can I just pray for us, God? Pray that in the next few minutes, all across this arena in a fresh way that you would fix our hearts and our minds on Jesus and that your spirit would visit us, move among us in a way that can only be explained by your hand. God, I I pray that there the next few minutes might be people who truly trust in Jesus for the first time. And that you would draw us into deeper devotion to you. Help us to die that we might live. So we fix our eyes on you right now. Jesus, we, we lift this song of praise to you. Gender, sexuality, artificial intelligence, race, 
justice, genomics, the metaverse. Life seems so very complicated these days, fragmented even, and everyone has an opinion about everything. But what does the Bible say about all these issues? About you, about me, about the 7 billion people that fill every street, town, campus, village, apartment, and neighborhood on earth. Join us for this year's Secret Church. It's a unique one-night event streamed online to more than 50,000 participants around the world. Encouraged by our persecuted brothers and sisters example, we meet for close to six hours for intense study of God's Word and passionate prayer for the persecuted, taught and led by David Platt. Join us on Friday, April 29th at 7 p.m. Participating in Secret Church Livestream is easy. You can stream from your church, home, office, or anywhere you have an internet connection. For more information or to sign up, visit Radical.net. Well, that's it for today's episode. I'm your host, Stacey Martin. For additional articles, podcasts, events, and more, visit Radical.net or follow us on Facebook and Instagram.